come up and have missionary presentations from members of our congregation. Uh, let's see if we can have some more patients in there. Presentation from the congregation. We'll have a celebration about the work that you've done. Yeah. Uh, let's pray uh, for God to give us hearts that are rejoicing in his work. Uh, and uh, then we'll hear uh, what he's done through Landon and through your support of him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your work in Uganda. Not only in Uganda, but around the world, we thank you that you are not the God merely of Massachusetts or the United States or the West, uh, but you are the Lord over all the earth. You have people from every tongue and tribe and nation and language, and you gather praise for yourself from all the peoples of the earth. We thank you for the work that you have enabled Landon to do and the team with him, and we pray that you would multiply these efforts and that as we hear, we would be overjoyed by the work that you are doing. We pray that you would give us hearts of prayer for others, uh, hearts of support uh, and sacrifice to send missionaries into the field. We thank you for enabling us as a church to be a part of this work, and we pray that you would encourage us by your work among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Churches being formed every year 
in the global south. So the good news is the gospel is exploding in the global south, while we know Christianity is shrinking, at least by the statistics and by our experience in the western world. Um, in the, the, which, as you can see there, the, the blue is the global north. It's really the west is really what it is. Um, but the result of this is that 95% of the pastors have little or no biblical or theological training. And it's literally the kind of thing where, hey, you know a little bit about the Bible. Be our pastor. <laughs> That's really what's happening. That's the people that we're talking to in this conference. Um, so the, the one takeaway here for us, thinking evangelistically, we're, that's usually how we're thinking with missions, evangelism. These guys don't need evangelism. They're doing the evangelism already. What they need is training. And that's what this mission is all about. And you can see here one of our Ugandan national partners is fond of saying our churches are a mile wide and an inch that's what we're trying, this is the need that we're trying to address in this training. Um, which leads me to introduce Equipping Leaders International. This is a training organization that is, has a number of, I think they have like 40 some uh, national directors that are responsible for different countries. Um, but what they're doing is they're trying to strengthen the indigenous churches so that they can then multiply to other churches around, the other people and churches around. So they identify highly influential but under-resourced Christian leaders, um, and then they work with them, and that's what this national partner idea is. The national partners are leaders in the countries that ELI targets and trains so that then they can train other people. Um, and they, they organize the conferences and everything, so I'll talk a little bit about that. But ELI <coughs> has done these big Bible conferences, kind of think of like a Ligonier conference, where they, they get hundreds of people together, um, and they, they give good biblical training, but they realize that that's not really sustainable for the long term. So they move to the CCI model here, um, which is a maturing and multiplying model. It's, it's in, the, in the U.S., we call it a train-the-trainer kind of thing. We're training people in the Bible, but we're also training them so that they're able, and we're training them and resourcing them so that they can go train other people. And so it's a multiplication ministry. And you can see it's very much um, based on um, the, the model of 2 Timothy 2.2, entrusting to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it's very much focused on the local churches in these countries because that's really the only way that you can get sustainable long-term success is by equipping the local churches. Um, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. There's a couple of the national partners here. Pastor George Diabagambi in Uganda, and Pastor Jay from, from Bangladesh, um, just a few of the people we work with. These are the guys that I went with. Um, I'd like to introduce them briefly. I'll probably be mentioning them throughout the talk. Joel McCall is the lead teacher. He's a minister at Christ Covenant PCA in Tennessee. Um, he's a experienced pastor and world uh, traveler. He, he's trained in many, many nations. <laughs> And he's currently the director for the Rwanda mission. And he was our lead teacher, very gifted Bible, um, Bible scholar as well as uh, teacher. Um, I, I was kind of rapidly paying attention um, while he was teaching. I was taking notes as well as the rest of the people when he was teaching. Merle is my brother-in-law, is Cynthia's oldest um, brother. Um, he's... Uh, he has a key role. He wasn't teaching, although he's taught before. Um, he was our liaison to the location, GSF. I'll talk more about what GSF is in a minute. But he's a board member. He was really the project organizer. He has all of the relationships. <coughs> the, the missionaries and the Africans are coming up and hugging him and all this. He knows all the people. So he's a key 
person for us. And um, yeah, the, the Ugandans were kept reminding me that Merle is my muko, that's brother-in-law. Um, Barry Ogle is from Chestnut Mountain PCA in Atlanta. He's also an ELI teacher. And there we are called Buzungu, which is like a foreigner or a traveler. Um, so we're, to them, we're Buzungu, and they would refer to us that way. But again, we're representing the sending churches here, and that's the key thing um, that uh, I want you to remember. Um, one question is, how did the gospel, I've been asked this a number of times, how did the gospel get in Uganda? And it's really, um, it really goes back to the 1800s missionary exercises from European countries. Um, I was, some, maybe some of you were raised on the African missionary stories. I, I was certainly raised on those. I read a number of missionary books and stuff. Um, and it's really what we're seeing now is the harvest of missionaries who laid down their lives for the gospel and saw no fruit. And I have a quote here from Alexander McKay from 1876. He was a Scot, he was part of a Scottish mission. Eight men were sent. Um, and you can, I won't read the, the lengthy quote there. Um, but he's talking about when we die, send someone else immediately to take the vacant place. And that's very much the spirit of these early Afri East, East and Central African missionaries. Think of uh, David Livingstone is another kind of famous person. It was really the dark continent. They didn't know, like when Livingstone went there, he didn't know what he was going to find. No white man had ever been there before. So it really was the dark continent. And, but they were doing it with the, as missionaries. Um, and Alexander McKay, this, the story there um, is, yes, within two years, the other seven men that went with him were dead. And he died several years later of a fever. Um, so his, his little prophecy there came true. But the gospel continued to go there. And um, it's, it's transformed um, East and Central Africa. Um, a couple uh, things to mention here on the map. You can see African Bible University is where the hopes um, serve, and that's in Kampala, which is the capital. Um, and ELI has some other uh, training locations within Uganda. They have, they've trained in Mbali, and they, uh, Pastor George, who I showed earlier, is, is located in MRR. So they do a lot of training in MRR. And then also, um, I mentioned Joel is the director for Rwanda, and they do a lot of training in Rwanda. As a matter of fact, Joel was in Rwanda for two weeks before he met up with us in Uganda. And I'm, I'm going to turn the mic off just for a second for those who are listening. Um, there's a sense of urgency here in Rwanda and Uganda. There's foreign governments are influencing Africa. Some of you might be aware of this for the natural resources and stuff. They've, they've got it so in Rwanda, the government is shutting down the churches. Um, they're coming up with like ideas like you have to um, certify to be a pastor. Well, guess what? None of the, these pastors have the qualifications to be certified. So in August of next year, Rwanda, we believe that 20,000 pastors are going to be shut down. So there's a real sense of urgency for training pastors in Rwanda, and Joel has been working there, and he's really, he's not only training the pastors, but he's training them to go underground, which is probably going to happen next year. When that happens, uh, there's, a, there's also a fear that Uganda is going to go the same way eventually. They're not there yet, um, but they are susceptible to foreign government influence, and there's also a fear, well, I don't know if it's but the reality is a lot of the pastors who are put out of business in Rwanda are going to come into Uganda. So we're not only training the pastors in Uganda to spread locally, we're training them to be able to minister to these Rwandan pastors and maybe some Christians who are going to come into Uganda in the next couple, next few years. So I just wanted to mention that there is a sense of urgency with this training. Um, and our location there is the is the star near Jinja, um, and I'll talk in a minute about why that why we're uh, in that place right here. Um, ELI recognized a strategic advantage to the Jinja area 
they've had some conferences there in the past, and they recognize that this is a good place to target for the, C the CCI ministry. Um, there's a wonderful facility, Good Shepherd's Fold, that I'm going to talk about in a, a little bit more here in a second. There's three known local leaders um, who are also associated with G GSF, so there's a level of accountability here that is not, they don't really have this in the other locations around Uganda. And the education and the literacy of the pastors in this area is such that they're able to grasp the training and then take it and teach it to others. So these are some of the strategic things that ELI recognized. And so they selected this location to launch this three-year, 12-course CCI program. And the course that we taught on 1 Timothy was the first one. <laughs> so there's 11 more to go. Um, but this, we're, they're really excited about this multiplication ministry. And then the box on the right there just talking about what the, the makeup of the population there is. You see the majority of Christians are Roman Catholics or Anglicans. They tend to be in the, big, in the cities and in the bigger towns. The people that we're dealing with in the rural areas tend to be more Pentecostal in nature, evangelicals. So I've got some of the common issues there. One of the big issues is the prosperity gospel. And I forgot to put the picture in here, but when we're driving down the highway on the way to our place, there's big billboards of these prosperity gospel preachers. Um, so it like confronts you right away when you get to Uganda. Um, so this, these are some of the issues. One other issue that I did put on here is they're very, um, kind of like um, the fundamentalists in the United States, they're very anti-Catholic. So some of like what we would consider biblical teachings, like for instance, paedo-baptism, they think that's Roman Catholic. So there's a little bit of the undoing of some of those, idea, those um, bad ideas that they have, which you can easily do just by good biblical teaching. But they have a little bit of a, a stumbling block there, I guess I should say. Um, Good Shepherd's Fold, um, this is the, it's an orphanage, it's a children's home where we, um, that hosted us and hosted the conference. Um, you can see a couple pictures here, the baby house, um, and then Merle is there with uh, Lillian, the baby house manager, um, and just one scene there of some of the housing on the campus there. This is, it's a multifaceted ministry, it's, a, it's an orphanage. But it also deal, they also have special needs children they take in. Um, they have a, a national school where people can pay to send their kids to this, like a, to get a good education. There's also a big international school. So they host the, all the international students from all of the missions in that area. They come to school there. Um, they have a big thrust on community development working in the local communities and the churches. One of the ways they do that is this program called Farming God's Way, which is a sustainable farming ministry to the, to the villages around them that they cleverly integrate biblical principles into. Um, the bottom line is, that after only being there a week, the, the ministry at Good Shepherd's Fold is very complex. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so the directors um, right here, uh, Mark and Amy Gordney are the Mark is the executive director. His job is really hard. <laughs> I'm amazed. I mean, they're, they're unique, special people like a lot of missionaries are, um, but the complexity of what they're responsible for is, is amazing. And here I want to talk about the, chef, the, the partnership because, and Mark gave a wonderful talk to the pastors. He came in and said, why are, you, why are we here at a children's home? What? That doesn't make any sense. Why are we here at a children's home? Well, there's a lot of good reasons for why we were at the children's home. It's a safe central location that has the facilities to house not only us, but all the pastors who travel. You know, a lot of them came on motorcycles, the back of motorcycles, or walk a long way, so they can't commute back and forth every day. They stayed there. Um, there's um, shelter, there's house, there's um, food. And um, we got the bills for the, the food and the lodging because we paid for that. Redeemer paid for these pastors to come there. It was 
ridiculously cheap. <laughs> I mean, ridiculous. Like $10 a day kind of crazy, crazy cost. So Good Shepherd's Fold is able to provide that for us because they're, they're partnering with this ministry. Um, and then I mentioned the level of accountability. The three of the national partners here, they actually are employed by GSF. So they get their paycheck from Mark. So there's a level of accountability there in Uganda that's very rare. There's a lot of deception and thievery and built into the culture there. And these guys, and pastors are not immune to that. <laughs> uh, but these guys get their paycheck from Mark, so they're motivated to um, be accountable to do all the things that we're asking them to do as part of this program. The mission here at GSF, I've underlined their community development is their third pillar. And basically, they graduate the orphans out at, at the age of 18. They're not allowed to keep them there past the age of 18. So one of their biggest problems at GSF is, where do we send these kids afterwards? They don't have a family. They don't really fit into the tribal culture because they've been raised at the orphanage, which is kind of Western. Um, it's a big problem for them. And the way that they um, see this happening is they, these, these kids have to have a local church community to go plug into. So it's very much complementary to GSS mission that the local churches and the local pastors are being strengthened. And that's why they're interested in hosting this, not just because they have a nice facility, but because they want to partner with this ministry. They're just as excited about us training the pastors as we are <coughs> and as the pastors are. Um, so it's just a wonderful conglomeration of influences here that made this Jinja area really a strategic place for ELI to invest a lot of resources. Uh, just a, I've got a few slides on just pictures of Uganda before I get into the actual training. This is Merle and I transporting um, a lot of equipment. We took a projector, multiple laptop computers, 30 pounds of books. We hauled all that stuff there um, to deliver to GSF. Um, providentially, I was on the same flight as the folks. Completely unplanned. I mean, there's a million different ways that either of us could have gotten there. The fact that we learned we were going to be on the same flight was just amazing. So we were able to meet up with them um, and actually help them a lot. They had, they were staying for a long time, so they had all their bags. <laughs> and um, Jerry had a little trouble getting through um, the visa line, so um, Merle and I actually collected all the host bags for them while Tim was off trying to, to help Jerry get through the line. But wonderful to meet up with them. They're such a joy, as, as many of you know. And Ollie, our driver, um, was a key person to get us the four hours back and forth from Entebbe to Jinja. Um, very, um, the Christian, Christian driving organization that GSF uses. Uh, he was a wonderful, um, he didn't speak much English, but I got to ride in the front seat with him the whole time, and so I got, got to have a little conversation with him. Here's some snapshots of the, what you see in Uganda. Um, the, the picture on the left here, this is a market, just picture miles and miles of this in all the towns, just exactly like that, repeated for miles and miles. That's what it looks like. There's red, red dirt everywhere, with, which is kind of clay, and it, um, you can imagine what it gets like when it rains. <laughs> um, open meat markets all along the way, um, lots of stuff being transported. Here, if you're interested, down this dirt alley, there's a pub right here. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't stop. We didn't have time to stop at the pub. And a pork joint, if, you, you know, if you're in the mood for some pork. Um, just typical scenes. Um, traffic um, in the towns is unbelievably bad. Um, this is a Boda Boda which is basically a motorcycle taxi you can see here hauling chairs. And there's actually another person on there, too, that you can barely see. This is a typical scene in traffic here. Um, cars kind of come in every which way. And sometimes people would be coming the wrong way on motorcycles. There's motorcycles kind of weird now all the time. 
So um, we were, like, you could never drive there. I could never drive there. You need the driver <laughs> to, to get you there. Um, and here's a Voda Voda on a Voda Voda. <laughs> and there were lots of things like this I could have shown. And then um, in a traffic jam, a cow just walks across right in front of me. In a big town, this isn't a town, this isn't like out in the country. So just typical scenes there. And in village life, um, there were beautiful wildlife and scenery. Um, here's a woman with the fresh bananas. And there are ants, the kind that I'm envisioning when they bury you in the, up to your neck or whatever. These are the ants. They told us, do not step on the ants, like step over the lines. Um, and then a typical um, housing situation there, they don't have doors, they have curtains. Um, this is actually a nice place. Um, you can see here, most of them are grass roofs. This, is, this place is actually on GSF property, so it has a tin roof. It's, you can see it's block construction, but they, they don't have doors, it's all open. They have a hole in the ground for the toilet, no running water, that's just typical. That's where the pastors that we're teaching, that's, what the, that's how they live. Um, just to, you know, help you understand. There's a car alarm going off out there. Um, I, I entitled this, We're Not in Kansas Anymore, because um, our, um, the, our, when you arrive in Uganda as a Christian, you're, um, the Western expectations, I guess, of spiritual warfare are really challenged right away. It's very weird that the, the atmosphere, like you can, you can, it's palpable, you can feel the spiritual darkness that's there. Even though there's a lot of Christians, it's because of the tribal culture that they've come out of, especially in the rural areas where we're ministering. Visions and multiple pastors told me about visions and dreams that they've had. Um, there's demon possession, is pretty common. There's witchcraft, remnants everywhere in the culture. Um, and, you know, as, as Western Reformed people, you kind of don't really know what to do with some of this, except just do the best you can. Um, they told us this water tower, water tower story that I wanted to share with you. Um, this, this is the water tower that's on the hill on GSF property. The land was purchased by Samaritan's Purse <laughs> decades ago, and it was donated to the children's home, to start the children's home there. The, the, goods, the, the Samaritan's Purse um, engineers designed and built this water tower. They put it up, they did all the construction, put it up, the next day it fell over. And they were like, what, you know, what's happening here? So they. They went back, looked at all the plans. It was all engineered, properly done. You can imagine with the Samaritan's Purse that it was done right. <laughs> and they, they put it up again. The next day, it collapsed again. It didn't completely fall down, but it, it fell over. So they had to take it down. And they're like, what is going on here? It's, everything is just like it should be. And the, pe the locals said, well, that hill is where they used to have sacrifices. It's a witchcraft location. So the Samaritan's Purse people got together with the churches, and they basically did a prayer walk around the area, put it back up, it's been standing for 25 years. So, you know, um, whatever you want to make of that, um, the water tower now in the community is a visible symbol that God's power is bigger than the power of the demons around there. So it's, when you walk by it, you see the water tower, and everybody knows that's a symbol of God's power in overcoming the, the darkness. We had the privilege of worshiping at one of the local churches, so we had about a half a mile walk um, through the sugar cane field, sugar cane and banana trees, very pretty scenic area, but it's a dirt path, you know, for about a half a mile. Um, there's no roads. It's just in the middle of nowhere, it appears. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's villages around there. 
Um, and this is a, it's a stick church, dirt floor, tin roof. It didn't. It, apparently, the tin roof is new. They didn't used to have a roof, but they have a tin roof now. Um, pastor Dennis is one of the pastors that came to the training, um, so I got to spend some time with him. Sunday worship. So I'll give you a little snapshot of uh, worship at the church here.
these guys are paid, most of them don't have a job. Most of them, they if they're if they're fortunate, they own a plot of land where they support their family by growing their own food. Um, the three leaders and Dennis um, do are employed at GSF, so I think they actually might get a paycheck, like a, like a real like money. <laughs> I'm not sure about that um, or whether they're paid in, in produce, but. The bottom line is, these guys don't have any time to do church work. They're, they're tent makers in a very difficult environment, um, economic situation. Um, they're sacrificing much to be pastors. Um, they even, it was even a huge sacrifice for them to come there for the week. Because while they're there, we provided for their food and, and a place to sleep. But they were not providing for their families for the week they were gone. And some of them expressed me that that was actually quite a hardship for them to be able to be there to be there so they were I mean these guys encouraged us off the charts you know with their sacrifice um, to for the Lord and um, they repeatedly everybody repeatedly told me please tell your people back there that we love them thank you for sending us sending you here um, they, they just said that over and over ago over and over again, tell your people that you love them and thank them. So these are the guys that we're praying for. Continue to pray for these men that this will sink in, that training will sink in for them. Um, and then getting into the training week, um, we, we were teaching First Timothy. Um, so there were four, four full days of teaching. We originally needed planned to do five, but we found out that our driver in order to get us back to the airport on time on Friday, he said basically, no, no, I need to pick you up earlier. <laughs> so we ended up cramming everything into four days, which it worked fine, it was long days, but we did three to four lessons each day. We rotated who was teaching, um, generally. Joel did a little more teaching than, than Barry and I. Um, so we would teach, have small group, they would break into small group discussions and discuss it and then present out to back to us. We wanted to make sure that they were really able to grasp what we were teaching and that they could understand it. And no translator needed. This was a huge blessing. We fully expected to have to use a translator, which would have cut that time in half that we had to, to talk um, in, in both ways, too. You know, when they're questioning us. So we got we got with the three leaders on the first day and we talked through it and we found they said, yeah, most of these guys again, because they were handpicked for, for their educational level, most of these guys understand English pretty well. Let's not use a translator. Oh, that was so wonderful. And I didn't realize how wonderful it was until I was teaching. And you know, if you're you're dealing with biblical terms, you're dealing with theological terms like sanctification and justification, if, you're, if a guy's translating that, you have no idea what he's saying. Right? So you don't know if he's getting the gist of it or not. And um, I realized when I'm talking, I can, I can look at the audience and go, oh, do you, do you have a word like that, sanctification? Do you know what I mean? And you, usually they'd be going like this. And if they were just staring back at me, okay. Well, what that means is like this. So all of that is lost if you have a translator. Um, and so it was just a wonderful blessing to not have to use a translator. Um, now, there were three or four guys who were pretty rusty on their English. They took the Lugandan notes. They, we had them translated. Most of the guys took the English notes. But several of them took the Lugandan notes. They had Lugandan Bibles. And when I would, I would always ask for a volunteer to read one of the guys always read in Uganda <laughs> um, from his Bible, so. Uh, but it was it was a wonderful thing. And there's the, the GSF chapel. They're beautiful, picturesque little chapel on a hill. It's got a concrete floor, tin roof. Really nice facility. Um, and then, yeah, we were, this is the teaching situation here. Some of the reasons that we selected First Timothy were because some of the key things that are important for the African pastor. One of them is an apostolic authority. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, that's just from the first two verses in 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle, 
we had a whole 20-minute lecture on what that means. Um, and church offices is in Timothy. Deacons and elders. As you know, in chapter 2, the women's roles is very, very critical thing for Ugandan um, uh, culture. Um, God's sovereignty and election. There's a couple passages in 1 Timothy that might lead you to think of universalism or universal atonement kind of things. Um, and it gave us an opportunity to really do a deep dive on God's sovereignty and election, predestination. And Joel did a, I was telling Matthew, did a masterful job, probably the best I've ever heard on God's sovereignty and election. And about halfway through it, I realized I should have hit the record button on my phone, and I didn't. But I at least got to hear it first, and they were hearing it. And if you, these guys are open to being taught. If you show them that it's in the Bible, they will accept it. Uh, what a, if only United States Christians were like that. <laughs> Um, they don't. They don't have any of the issues that we have with, um, you know, who is the Bible trustworthy? Is it reliable? Is it the Word of God? Should I, you know, how how should I obey it? How should I take it? If you show them, and so Joel just unpacked from Jesus's teachings and Paul's teachings in Ephesians, the sovereignty of God and election, and these guys are just like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's that's what it, the Bible says. So just wonderful. Um, wonderful teaching um, throughout the week that we had a chance to do. Um, and then, of course, one of the key things, key themes in 1 Timothy is sound doctrine versus false teaching and false teachers. Um, so that's very relevant for them in the church in Uganda. Um, here's, here's Barry's Barry teaching. Every day, um, GSF has a kitchen. It's an outdoor kitchen with an open fire, but the Staff workers cooked our lunch for us every day and brought it in. So here they are serving lunch. And again, like dirt cheap. <laughs> you might look at the food and say, well, no wonder it's dirt cheap. <laughs> it's rice and pork and banana mush stuff. Um, it's called but um, And, and it, it did get old after only one week. Um, I learned to take smaller portions. <laughs> but um, uh, it was a wonderful blessing to be able to have them cater and lunch for the pastors every every uh, day. So we have teaching, lunch breaks, small group sessions, and the call to class. This is what Matthew was referring to at the beginning. Um, so the way you know we would like ring a bell or yell out or whistle or something. The way when it's time to get back together after a break, they worship. So typically one guy would get up and just start doing what Matthew was doing, just start clapping and singing at the top of his voice. And sure enough, like within minutes, all, everybody is back in the room, you know, <laughs> participating in the worship. They have the drums set up over on the side. A couple guys would meander over to the drums. And, and I noticed it was different people every time. That would, I don't know how they knew who was supposed to play the drums and who was supposed to lead. They, I learned they can all do it. So there were three guys that mainly led, but one time none of them were there, and Dennis was there, who's the pastor. He starts, he, there was nobody else in the room other than him. He starts clapping, singing, and sure enough, here they all come. So. I give I give you a short video here of what that was like. This is Philip Lee.
having to get up and teach after that. Her <laughs> blood is like pumping, you know. Uh, and yeah, so that happened every day multiple times. And we just stood there and participated as much as we could. Um, but yeah, just it really gets your blood pumping to, to see the love that these guys have for the Lord. Um, some of the questions that we were asked, um, not the kind of questions typically that we get here in the United States. Um, I won't read through, through these all, but you can um, see. These are actual questions that we were asked. Sometimes in the te during the teaching, sometimes, um, like the first one there, about um, being invited to rituals, um, somebody approached us and asked us this question on the side. Um, another one there, second to the bottom, this was a real issue that came up. Because First Timothy, remember, is teaching about widows and how you should, who you should put on the list of widows and counseling young women to remarry if they're um, widowed at a young age. And this is a real issue that they came up They came up with. Well, wait a minute. How do I do this? I've got this woman in the tribe. She's continually falling into immorality because her clan won't allow her to remarry. And they, there's no eligible man for her to marry. And they won't let her marry outside the clan. And it came down to the dowry question. If these people had paid a dowry, so they kind of felt like, the clan felt like they kind of owned her. So they're not allowing her to marry outside the clan. So what the counseling that we gave them was, sometimes the Bible, what the Bible teaches is going to challenge your cultural norms. And you have to go against that sometimes. And that's going to be really hard for you, but you have to do it. Where the, the Bible conflicts with your cultural teachings. And so, and, and Again, they were, they're very receptive to that kind of counsel. Uh, you show them what the Bible teaches, um, they'll, they'll do it. So anyways, there's some of the questions that we were asked. Uh, I want to tell you about a few of the pastors, just so you get a, a, an idea of who these men are. Abraham there in the upper right, he's a, um, he, they, they all introduced themselves with a little story. So we got to hear a little bit about them. And then during the week, I had an opportunity to get to know some of them a little bit closer over lunch and in side discussions. But Abraham is a bishop, of, and he's overseen 70 churches. <laughs> so this is the kind of this is the kind of leader that we're targeting with this training, because if he can get the training, then he can influence these 70 other ministers that are under his watch or care. Um, Dennis, I've already introduced you to Dennis. He was the pastor. By the way, Dennis, um, because we were at this church, he came up to me on the side and said, hey, you were at my church on Sunday. Um, critique my sermon. How did I do my sermon? These guys are hungry for the feedback. Like, how am I doing? Was it biblical? Did I do a good job? Um, so just wonderful, um, wonderful interaction with Dennis. Julius, Next to me there is, um, he's a man who is a pastor of a larger church, probably like 150 people, and he's recently started another church, kind of like a daughter church, um, in another uh, geographical area, in the picture, a mile or two down the dirt path to another geographical area. He's now got 25 people in that church. And, but he's still in charge of both churches, so he's appointed someone to preach in the mother church while he um, plants this other church. Again, these guys are, they're doing the evangelism, they're doing the church planting. That's not what they need Western help with. They need training. <laughs> and again, they don't have anything. They don't, they have a Bible. They've never had any, any training. So, and they're doing all of this work. It's, it's just amazing. Um, and then these two men here in the middle, Kenneth and Joshua. Joshua has a very interesting story. He, he walks with a really bad limp, and he had polio as a child. And he was born into a Muslim family, and his dad cast him out because he had polio. So he was raised by his mother, but that hardship going through that experience 
ultimately brought him to the gospel and brought him to saving faith. And now he's a pastor. And he's not only a pastor, he's a, um, a leading pastor in the area and a mentor to Kenneth. Kenneth introduced, I, I spoke to them together over lunch one day, and Kenneth said, he's my spiritual father. And I was led to his church, and he's been mentoring me for years. And I, he is my spiritual father. And um, so now Kenneth is a pastor of another church. So these two men are pastoring. They have a mentoring relationship. But it just shows you. In, in Joshua, I have their, their tent makers, and some of them are living in poverty. Joshua told me, I was asking, how do you prepare a sermon? You, you have no resources. You have... You have to provide for your family. And he said, any hour that I spend doing church work is an hour away from providing for my family. And he said, he looked me in the eye with a smile on his face and said, our children are starving. But these are the kind of guys that we're trying to minister to here. Guys who are, they've got it, they've laid it all on the line for, for the gospel and for Jesus. They, they're sacrificing to be pastors. Um, so, and they, like I said there, they, they have no resources. Um, of all the men I talked to, none of them had anything other than a Bible. And most of them didn't have even a study Bible. They just had a regular Bible. Um, and uh, Dennis told me that he gets online. Some of them can get online. Many of them can't. But Dennis is able to get online because he works at TSF. And he said he uses the online free Matthew Henry commentary. Uh, that's the only resource he uses. So anyway, just a little snapshot into the kind of people that we're, we're targeting to train here. We had the great joy of giving away some books after I just told you they don't have any resources. Crossway donated a number of books, and this is the 30 pounds of books that we trans transported there. Um, we were able to give every man a book, and I got immediately put in charge of book distribution, trying to figure out who gets what books, and um, going through the books that we brought and finding out that most of them are just not appropriate for the Ugandans. They have too many Western ideas in them. Um, it's, it's a real problem. Since I've been back, I've been reading through two of the books that we were given. Um, one on expositional preaching and one on biblical theology. And they're very simple books from our perspective. But they really stretch the Ugandans. They're, they use words that they don't know. Um, Western illusions. It's almost on every page. When you read it with new eyes, like for us, you wouldn't even notice it. But when you read it through their eyes, you realize, oh, these guys aren't going to get anything out of this book. You know, they're not going to understand any of it. So I got in charge. I'm in kind of in charge and still working on, on how to um, do that effectively for these guys. We were able to give out study Bibles. This is the Global Study Bible, um, which I checked out, and it's actually a pretty good Bible. It's an ESV-produced Bible. Um, and J.I. Packer's Concise Theology was in the pile. So I gave out all six of those. Um, and uh, we're working with the leaders to do some follow-up on that to see how much that they're understanding. But just a wonderful joy. Um, so the other thing I wanted to mention is the course notes that we print. It, it's just a regular printed bound thing with a you know the plastic thing on the side. That resource to them is like a gold mine because it's basically a commentary on First Timothy um, with in a kind of a teaching kind of way. So it's, and that's why, you know, Dennis is using, he's preaching out of the Ephesians one that he was given two years ago. So I realized after we left, just the fact that we printed and translated our First Timothy notes is a huge resource for these guys. They can preach for a year just on First Timothy now because of the content there. So uh, it was just a, a joy to give away um, resources to these guys. And so just a couple more slides here. Um, I want to talk about the strategic vision and the opportunity that's before us here, and then some of the next steps. So 
I've already told you about how the CCI model, based on 2 Timothy 2.2, is really working on equipping the indigenous churches and the indigenous leaders um, as really the only way that you can get sustainable long-term growth in the culture. So, for instance, we do not want to create a Western church. And there were some interesting stories that I heard when we were there of people that have done that, have created a Western church that is no longer in existence. Um, which is, you know, it, it makes perfect sense <laughs> that they have to be indigenous churches. So this, this training is really investing in the maturing of these local pastors and their churches, and then doing a multiplication where they are then able to go train others, like all these other pastors in their areas and that they're overseeing in some cases. Um, and then I talked a little bit about this unique opportunity with the partnership of GSF and ELI in these churches. I mean, it's just a wonderful provision from the Lord of resources. The facilities, the equipment that are there, the food and shelter. We have a place to stay. They have a little guest house that the teachers can stay in. Um, it's just an amazing um, resource that's there. We've got these hand-selected pastors. And then this, I keep talking about this level of accountability, which is really rare in Africa. And we have that, all of that is in place here because of the way God has strategically, providentially got all this together with the training, the GSF, the local men who are mature enough to handle it. And then I mentioned also, finally, that we're realizing that if this is different from the other ELI trainings that happen around the world, they typically are working with one guy, which is good in some ways, because you have like one leader you can contact. But it's bad in a lot of other ways, because it's only one man, and he's overtaxed already and can't really put any time into it. Here, we have these three men who are accountable to GSF, and we're realizing that we really have the opportunity here to have build relationships with these three guys and actually disciple and mentor them as pastors. Not only giving them the training that will go into their heads so that they're better Bible scholars, but that they're, they're growing in maturity, in spiritual maturity, um, and getting to know these men personally. And to some extent, we're able to do that with the other 11 also. But we're really kind of seeing a unique opportunity here to invest in the lives of these three guys, and through them, these 11, and then through them, hundreds more. It's really kind of mind-blowing if you think about the opportunity that's here in front of us. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to close. I have one more slide on, that, on what's coming up next as part of this ministry. But I wanted to play for you a three-minute snippet I taught the last session of the course, and I asked Ephraim, one of the leaders, to come up and close us in prayer because it's the last one. I thought he would be interested to hear his final prayer, so I'm going to play that for you here. All right, let's Thank you for the yearly staff that travel all the way, all the way from America to here. You give them safe genesis to hear Lord Almighty. And, and we got all the pastors as we are right now. All of them traveled well. Nothing happened to them until we had them here. Look and behold, we are through now. We have had our last session. We give glory to your name. We thank you for protecting us while here. We thank you for the edification, the teaching that we've had of that word. The instructions that you gave to Timothy through Paul, O God of glory, that we are now taking on, O God of glory. Lord, we pray that these things will make a great change in our lives and in the way we teach, O God of glory, and that we will live to guard the truth that you've given unto us, O God of glory. These things, oh God, 
I pray that none of us that is here will go off track, O oh God of glory. And I pray that we will finish, we will finish this race by your grace, O oh God of glory. We know that this is just the beginning, this is just the start of oh God, that we have a long way to go. Uh, three years, course, O oh God of glory, we pray that you will give us the grace to carry on until we finish this thing, O oh God of glory. We pray a blessing over our teachers that have had to to leave their families and whatever that they do and, and they have come here to do your work, O oh God of glory. We pray your blessing over them in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray a blessing over uh, uh, the pastors here in Uganda that are here for this cause, O oh God of glory. Will you bless them? They have forsaken everything and have met it is going to be here, O oh God of glory. Bless them, bless their flow, bless the work of their hands, O oh God of glory, their families, O oh God of glory. And that this will cause a big transformation in their lives. We thank you, Jesus. Even as we plan on traveling back, we pray for journey passions of our glory. As we go back, we cover ourselves with your precious blood and, and we pray for journey passions, even for our teachers as they go back. We know that they're going to go, they're going to just fly over back to their place. And God, we pray that you will be with them. Guard them against the evil one of our glory. Until we meet again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So, next steps. Um, I, I mentioned I went with a lot of trepidation and some fear, <laughs> um, but this trip really exceeded our expectations. Um, I've heard from those who are more experienced than, than I that it was a very successful. So um, it was it was a wonderful trip. Um, again, I want you to I want to thank you for sending me, and I want you to I, I want to encourage you to think of this as your ministry. Um, it's not just me that went, uh, but it really served to um, confirm my calling. I think I had a lot of questions about whether I'm being called to this, and everything has come back very affirmative um, along those lines. Um, so that was all great. The next steps, um, we're planning to have a second class in December. We're trying to work that around the GSF holiday schedule so that we can get the facilities there. Uh, but we settled on the first week in December and we got a little bit of a curveball. We were planning to do one session a year in person and three sessions, so it's every quarter, three sessions on Zoom. And when we got there, one of the leaders came right up to us and said, you know, I really think we need to have somebody in person every time. It doesn't have to be everybody, but we need somebody here. And we realized the great wisdom of that after we talked through the logistics. So um, we've been asked to send a teacher. I've been asked to go in December, um, but we're trying to think through the logistics of who would go and how that would work. Um, I've been, as I mentioned, I've been doing a lot of the strategic planning already for this three-year course, um, I'm, I'm realizing that that's kind of a, um, a need that I'm filling with my, some of my past <coughs> and stuff um, to, I'm actually laying out the, tw the 12 courses, what they might be. Joel and I are reviewing several of the courses right now to figure out which one we're going to do in December because we have to get it to the translator within the next few weeks. Um, <coughs> And then I'm also thinking about a longer-term discipling plan where we can have more regular contact, at least with the three leaders. Um, and we have had some email contact with them since we've been back, which has been good. So those are the next steps. Um, just praise the Lord for his provision, um, this tremendous opportunity he's put in front of us. It's the Lord's work. He's providentially arranged all of this. Um, the, I, the gospel is alive and well in Uganda. And these guys are just hungry for the training. They're, they're just starving for the training. So pray for these three men, the leaders, the pastors, the GSF connection, and then just pray for discernment uh, for me, like how am I going to be doing this going forward, um, you know, as Redeemer's representative again. It's not just me. It's, it's Redeemer, you know. I'm taking Redeemer with me, I feel like, when I go there. And I, I encourage you to think of, of it that way as well. So I just want to close there. Makama 
yacht, yay, blase boy, praise the Lord. Uh, and um, maybe I could ask, Chris, I know you weren't here the whole time, but would you mind closing us in prayer? <clears throat> Not at all. <laughs> Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you continue calling the people to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you raise up leaders and teachers. We thank you for the way that you have superintended by your grace in making this trip successful. And we thank you, Lord, for the hearts of the men that you are working with even now, making them leaders that will go back and sacrifice your word to a land that needs to hear the truth of the gospel and the good news of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, now for those who have heard the word, that it would truly take root in their hearts and that it would make them different. We pray, Lord, for the word as it goes forth, that it will not return void, knowing that you always work your purposes through the proclamation of the truth of the gospel. And we ask, O oh Lord, for discernment moving forward. We thank you for the gifts that have been demonstrated, and we ask, Lord, now how they might be best exercised as we move forward. And we ask for your blessing as a congregation that you would put a burden on our hearts, that the intolerable burden that you have to save those who are your people would be our burden as well, that we would care deeply about this work, and that we would have wisdom as a congregation how to move forward. Be with us, we pray, in all of this, in Christ's name.